Hello, this is Maze with Grieving a Child podcast, and we have Rinda on our podcast today. And Rinda, thank you for joining us, and tell us a little bit about your son. Hi, Maze. Thank you so much for inviting me. Um, my son, Alex, was raised in Northern California and um, decided to join the Army when he turned 18. In fact, the day he turned 18, he signed up. Um, went through boot camp that first year and then he was sent to Iraq. Um, unfortunately, that was at a, a surge time for the U.S. to be sending more and more soldiers over there. And I pretty much thought that the odds were good that he would come home. I mean, I had other people telling me that too, that he would come home. but. Um, so he, he was over there in November and he came home in January for leave and then we got to celebrate his 19th birthday and then he was back in Iraq in February of 07 and um, sending boxes, care packages, letters, everything we could to keep the spirits up. Um, he integrated pretty good. I mean, he was part of his army he was part of his guys you know his platoon they're they're very tribal as far as their you know allegiances to each other so he um he was actually it was night may 19th of 2007 i got the soldiers knock the officers knock on the door and um i'll never forget that day that they knocked on the door and um, so my first reaction was no. I just put my hand up and kept saying no, no and backing up and they came in the house and um, couldn't believe, you know, that my nightmare was starting. You know, I, I just figured he would be home and it was just something I couldn't comprehend in my mind, you know, it was just something's foreign to me that I my mind couldn't register it I kind of felt like I was going crazy for a time but um what did know. they tell you when they came in the door they have they have a set um military has a set protocol of what's to say you know we regret to inform you and it just kind of all went blank for me after that. I know they stayed with me for a couple hours um, to make sure that I was okay. But um, in my mind right now, it's just I couldn't even tell you the words they spoke. I know one guy spoke and the minister that was with him didn't say much, but the sergeant that was there, he, he was very comforting. So they kind of filled me in and, and what was going to happen, you know, all the, the casualty officer that they assigned to you is, would be contacting me the next day. And, and I think that first night I slept one hour. I mean, this is right at sundown on a Saturday night and I probably had slept one hour and um, had the same clothes I had on the night before. I didn't even change clothes or anything. Got up and went to church. 
and that was probably not the smartest thing to do but it's somewhere I felt like I didn't know where to go I really didn't know you know my mind was just like it exploded and it was injured and I couldn't hardly handle it so I went to church and got a little comfort there but then you know different people have different reactions and I think as a society people don't really want to I feel like people don't want to really hear about that because we as a society fail to talk about it we, we're not comfortable with death and especially a child's death you know that that is just their mind goes blank and and people don't you know they say the bl- obligatory things they think that they should say yes but none of it helps you know none of, and some of it's hurtful yes you know I had one lady even that day was arguing with me about when or maybe it was a couple weeks later arguing with me about when they notify family that it's usually through <laughs> the news media will report it before the family knows and I said no that's not true mm. sorry that's not true and you know just arguing with people that are ignorant it just it was I still remember that you know it's just kind of stuck in my craw like you don't know what you're talking about yes because there's usually a blackout period that all soldiers they can't even call home you know in his unit and the surrounding units they're not even allowed to call home to you know to tell whoever they might know about it so what would you like to share with us about your son Alex he was uh he struggled as a student um I wasn't super hard on him about studies you know I'd try to encourage and help but he just seemed restless as far as being in school and and fitting into that round pig he was not gonna fit (laughs) he had he had some learning disabilities you know as far as being able to pay attention he he was ADHD so he he was on the go all the time he was a happy child oh my god he was a happy child so handsome yeah so handsome yeah and he he was just had a zest for life and he wanted to live it and he had friends that he made that to this day I actually adopted one of his friends that he joined the army with Bobby Mm -hmm. is my adopted son now I'm kind of living vicariously through him because he's having babies and you know and and, you know you lose all that yes you you totally lose that when you lose a child you know you don't get the weddings you don't get the the grandchildren you don't get to see their joys or their disappointments and, and be part of any of that you know there's no more family dinners there's you know, it's just you live through the memories and you look at the picture books and mm-hmm. and for a long time it kind of wears on you about, you know, but you have to let some of that go as far as the hurts and the disappointments and things that that aren't to be. Yeah, because you have to live with it. They, they're not here anymore. Yeah. 
we we together um, are in a support group in Northern California as how we met yes. and I find that grieving mothers are uh, have have the stamina to be with our grief so we can talk about our children um, for the rest of our life and be in a safe space you know yes exactly and I, I think that was it was probably within that first year I found our support group way back in 07 and the lady that was always at the cemetery her name was Cindy and she always sat next to her son's grave and it was just a few plots down from my son and she kept trying to tell me and finally my my daughter-in-law at the time she finally saw Jamie there and she said you need to get her to go to this support group and so encouragement like that really does help you know because I was wandering around like I think that second year I felt like I had cement boots on I couldn't hardly move my feet I mean it was just everything I could do just to get through the day yeah you were one of my biggest support to get through uh, you know the death of Keon and yeah. And you were always right by my side, still still are, you know, and I really yeah. always appreciated that, um, the tools you've given me and, you know, I'm sure you can remember me when I first came to the yeah. group. You know? You're just in a state of shock, I think, for like two years, it's mm-hmm. bare minimum. I mean, that's, you have to expect that, but you don't know, you don't know when you're a first time mom, but being part of that group being able to be helped and then help start helping others you know you're not always crying you know sometimes you're laughing sometimes you're telling funny stories about your kids mm-hmm. you know about what, what they uh the shenanigans they play or you know mm-hmm. things they like to do yeah but, uh, yeah it, it's very important it was very important to me to be part of that even yes. though I, I felt like it was foreign and I felt awkward and I felt, you know, where do I fit in this group? And, mm-hmm. But they all welcomed me. So that that was a good precedent for that group to be able to, you know, set up the group and accept people as they were when they were coming in. You um, had a lot of ongoing things uh, with Alex and the military that you had shared with me over time. Will you share that with this interview? Oh, you mean with the Gold Star stuff? Yes, yes. The Gold Star stuff, yeah. I was reticent mm-hmm. about that at first. I mean, it did take me a long time till I went to my first big event. Um, it was almost 10 years before I'd go to the first event because being around other Gold Star families, I was used to our mother's group. That was different. But the big Gold Star group, I couldn't imagine they were going through stuff. How could they even, you know, be interested in in my son and and my hurt and my pain? But they were. Everybody there was just as welcoming as our grief group was you know our mom's grief group mm-hmm. but yeah there's been a, um, a lot of dedications that we're invited to a lot of, a lot of honors that are, are bestowed upon us you know to make us feel like our our children are not forgotten 
our yes. son and our daughters are not forgotten. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. So the military's been really, really good to us. Personally, me, um, been really good to us. You shared a story with me um, a long time ago about how you knew Alex would always take care of you. Do you remember that story? Yeah. So when I, I was pregnant with Alex, I was in a pretty bad relationship with his dad. I mean, it was all three of my children's father, but he was very abusive. And, um, and I found out I was pregnant with him. And I, I just was despondent about being pregnant for the third time and, and being in such a horrible relationship. So I was praying and praying and praying and I heard a voice in my head saying, this child will take care of you the rest of your life. And it was like a light switch when I was way back in 19, you know, 85 when I was pregnant with him. It was like a light switch. And I, I said, oh, okay. <laughs> and I got happy about the pregnancy and I had Alex and he was a happy child. I didn't know quite what that meant though. And it resonated with me when he was killed, there was an insurance policy that the, ar the armed forces pays to casualties uh, families. And with the money that was from his insurance policy, my son is taking care of me for the rest of my life. And if I had known back then what God meant, I don't think I could have handled it. Yeah. It's hard to handle it now, but, mm -hmm. you know, I, I pretty much don't have to worry about bills, you know. It's, it's taken quite a bit for me to learn how to deal with money and it and I had some hard knocks to begin with but I had to learn how to handle all that as well mm -hmm. not go and, and spend it all crazy like that but but put it right. away and invest it yeah I know it's hard to hear because I, I know I hate hearing this but you are one of the strongest grieving mothers I personally know and I, I hate when people tell us we're strong because it's not like we have a choice you know what I mean no no, no we don't have a choice but your yeah. story about Alex is so powerful and um, helped me live you know uh, I didn't know that <laughs> yeah. oh you you know how much I appreciate you very much so oh, but your story's always lasted or still in my in my space, you know, and, and I think it's because you had such an incredible honoring um, space for him, you know, uh, with the pictures and the memories. It was it was an honoring and that's how I began my honoring for Keon. How did you come up with that? I had a choice. I had a choice to make. Um, I could try to bury it and I think some others do um, our society like I said before our society is not used to talking about death especially a death of a child and so when 
you don't feel like there's anybody you can really talk to except another grieving mother you know about those things because you get flipping answers or you know something that they think they're trying to be helpful but since we as a society don't talk about it there's people don't know what to say and and i understood that and you know and i backed off from you know telling people how i really felt at the time you know you put on the happy face and you say oh i'm fine Right, we support others that are trying to support us. We're, yes. It's okay. Yeah. You know, it's okay my son died. <laughs> my child well, died, right? Yeah. I I do not like the mask, I have to admit. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I didn't feel that way around his army buddies. I didn't feel that way at all. I felt they were there for me. And that, that was part of my support, too, was, was those guys. You know, they would call his lieutenant, who's now a captain, he would call every year on his birthday and every year on his death date. Love and that. I, I think he hasn't, he hasn't done it the past few years. I think it was enough um, to get me through those first 10 years. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, yeah. But I still miss him every single day, and our family is just not complete. It'll no. be complete. No, it's not. It but really I, isn't. I, no. But I feel like I will see him again. I feel like he's my angel and he's watching out for me. Did you ever have times that he came to you afterwards? You know, I just had one dream and it just, it was so precious. It was, and it was the strangest dream. It was just, I was driving in my car and there was a, like four boys or four or five boys next to me in the car at the stoplight. And I look over and I, I just kind of glanced at the front seat and these guys look like, you know, they were going out to have some fun or something. And I look in the back and there's my son sitting in the back seat, smiling at me, nodding his head to say, yeah, mom, I'm okay. And that was the only time he came to me in a dream. I remember that story. Yeah. It still touches me six years later. You still get yeah. goosies, right? You know? Yeah. <laughs> Every yeah. time you... Yeah. And it was so vivid, and, and I've never had a dream like that ever again. Mm. I just wanted to grab a hold and hang on, but... You know, never let go. Memory. It's just a memory, and I do hang on to memories. But. Yes. Is there anything that you would like to share, um, a tool that, well, tools that uh, helped you with grief? I mean, there's really nothing that helps us, right? But is there anything that stood out that you can share with other grieving mothers and fathers? I think if you can find a support group or find a support person that you can be honest with, and not have to use your mask, your happy mask. Um, Even though it seems awkward, you know, if you need to go back every month to that support group, go back every month. You're gonna find where you fit in, you know, but you have to be open to wanting to at least have a little inkling that you want help. You know, you have to be a participant. You know, participate in life, participate in the future. Don't get mired down 
in the grief because that is that is like a what do they call that quicksand I don't know I called it a black hole <laughs> yeah it's a black hole it just it sucks you down and it doesn't want to let you go but what you're going to have to do is fight for yourself I think yeah. we think if we um, smile again or laugh again that, that we're going to lose them and we fear that or I did and you don't you know you feel, you, you... You feel like you're betraying your child I remember mm-hmm. the first time that I ever I was happy at Christmas time it was like I think in 2010 and I was in there I was listening to some Christmas music and I was in the kitchen and I started doing like little dances like I used to do mm-hmm. and I immediately stopped and felt that guilt you know how can I be happy my son's not here mm-hmm. but the, the thing is is you know if you look at from your child's point of view they would want you to be happy they would Agreed. want you to reach out and find that happiness yes I think our we talk about it that our children put some of us together you know yes (laughs) (laughs) we talk about that that how did we meet each other and I've never felt a closer bond than to a grieving mother you know and another grieving person there's this thing that we just have you know our broken heart to each other and um, they just make it a tiny bit easier you know yeah yeah. Is there anything else you'd like to share or about Alex or about your story? Um, well, just all the mothers and fathers out there, just hang on to the little bit of hope that you have and know that your child would want, not want you to wallow and, and stay down and stay stuck. You know, little bits and pieces just little tiny steps can make all the difference in the world. Mm. Just keep That's trying. So powerful. So powerful. Oh. Well, we're going to say his name again, Alex. And when was he born and when did he die? Alex was born January 29th, 1988. And I had a son that was 13. I always get he was the other son was born in 86, December of 86, so they were just 13 months apart. Mm-hmm. But January 29, 1988, he was killed May 19, 2007, in Baghdad, Iraq. And your life was never the same? Nope. Right? No, but my boy's taking care of me the rest of my life, and I'm so grateful. Right. I am at that six-year point where, well, one, I didn't think I was going to live, honestly. I really didn't. I, you know, probably five years of my life or four after Keon died. And I realized, okay, well, shit, you lived through this. (laughs) And now I'm at the point, how do I want to live? Yeah. How do I want to live? Right. And I'm actually at a grateful state. I'm, I'm so grateful for the blessing of 19 years of unbelievable love so I'm really glad that I came to this space I was I was worried right you know oh yeah it's like, <laughs> who what, am I gonna be exactly who are you gonna be mm-hmm. and you can rewrite that you can rewrite yeah. it for the positive instead of wallowing in the in the grief 
People say we, you know, you start a new chapter in your life. I started a whole new book. book. I am a new, <laughs> I'm writing a new book, you know, um, about me and, and, and trying to find who am I? Who do I want to be now? Right? I'm so proud of you for doing that. Because oh, I just, God bless you. I don't know. You know, I, I, I feel more pain when I look at mothers that were their sons committed suicide. Mm-hmm. They just didn't know. They didn't know the words to ask for help. Yeah. They were in pain themselves. Yeah. And each grief touches me, you know, all the different grief that goes on in our group, you know, all the different dimensions. And um, I I think most most people that commit suicide, they really don't want that. It's just a cry for help. I don't yeah. think they really wanted. They, my daughter-in-law is a, um, has a master in psychology, and I asked her about that. And I said, when you talk to somebody that wants to commit suicide, I said, what do you say to them? And she she always simply put, she goes, do you want to be dead just for a little while, or do you want to be dead forever? And he, she said about 80% of them say, just for a little while. Wow, I haven't heard that. Yeah. You know? But I think it, it's a it's a good way to talk somebody down, too. Yes, yes. Because this, this life changes so quickly, as we all know. Yeah. Yeah, I, I one of the tools I use is, um, Keon's not in the past and he's not in the future, kind of. And so I live in the now. I live yeah. day by day, moment by moment piece by piece and um, right now I'm called to share the stories of other parents I don't know why <laughs> but I'm I'm just I need to tell their story and interview people so thank you so much for doing this with me and um, I love interviewing somebody I actually know it, yeah. it's uh, different absolutely and thank you so much for your time all right thank you Mass. appreciate right. you I appreciate you very much. Good night. Good night.